you guys had a good fourth week. Um, felt a little bit cooler out there this morning. That was kind of nice. So uh, I'm kind of ready for fall. I don't know about y'all, but uh, as you'll find out shortly, I sweat a lot. And so I like the cool weather. Um, but anyway, I'm Brandon Williams. I'm the senior pastor there in Statesboro. And uh, excited to be with y'all. It's only been, I think, three years since I've been up here. So um, good to be back and uh, looking forward to just being able to share with you today. Um, today, we're actually going to be in John chapter 13 to begin with, and then we're going to flip over to John chapter 15, and uh, we'll, we'll jump into that and read some verses out of John 15 as well. So if you have your Bibles there, John chapter 13, um, and uh, we'll start. I just want to read verses 34 and 35 in John 13, and to set it up a little bit, we're coming to really... Uh, 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 the climax of the Gospel of John, in a way, because Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. He's in Jerusalem now. He's he's uh, beginning to um, explain again to the disciples that he's going to die, that he's going to be leaving them. And so, what he begins to tell them at this point is uh, something that's going to grieve them. And and so he's preparing them for this, and he's giving them some last commandments or words uh, that are going to be very important for them. And then we jump over into uh, John 15, and if you've been around church much, you've probably uh, heard this spoken uh, about many times, but Jesus talks about the vine and the branches. And so we're going to be looking at uh, how Jesus tells us how we are going to fulfill what he has called us uh, to become and then to do. And so let's read the uh, scriptures and then we'll pray and we'll jump into the message. John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus says this A new command I give you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then over on John chapter 15. Verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will become even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for life. We thank you, God, for another day that we can know you. We can come to you, Lord. I thank you, God, that no sin can separate us from you, God, when we give that to you and trust in you in faith, God, that we turn to you, God. I pray that no matter how far we feel from you today, God, we would once again realize how great your grace is, how powerful it is that we would walk in your love so that we can walk in your ways, God, and become the people you've created us to be. God, we love you and thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, how many of you in here are golfers? Any golfers in here? Anybody that likes to play golf? All right, how many people like to hunt? 
more like my people, right? Okay, so that's me too. But uh, at one time in my life, I played golf a pretty good bit, and then I figured out that I could get frustrated without spending $50, and so I quit going and playing golf because it's the most frustrating game I think I've ever played. And if you've ever uh, heard people talk about golf much, and you'll hear people talk about sometimes when they get the shanks playing golf. Anybody ever heard of the shanks? Somebody please raise your hand. Right. Yeah. Well, what happens is when you swing the golf club and you hit the golf ball, you actually hit it off of um, the heel of the club and it's just really nasty. It just kind of goes straight right with a little spin and spins off to the right. It's one of the most frustrating things you'll ever experience because you don't know what's causing it and you can't figure out how to fix it. Well, one day my brother-in-law and I, we were playing um, uh, around a golf and we were actually on vacation down in Florida, and uh, I, I got the shanks on about hole three or four. And it was so frustrating, y'all. Every time I'd swing, it didn't matter what club I hit it with, it just went dead right, dead right, dead right. And I'm like, how am I missing the ball so bad? Like, I'm not a great athlete, but I'm like, I should at least be able to hit it, right? And so we get to this one hole, and we're about to tee off. And there's a guy, uh, probably in his 70s or so, that's walking his dog down the right side of the fairway. And, and so my brother-in-law yells at him, and he says, Sir, and this guy's like, if I'm hitting it this way, he's like over here. And he said, Sir, you might want to look out. And the guy, you know, you like you can bear, he's like, Hey, what? What are you saying? He said, You might want to look out. And he's like, Why? And my brother-in-law kind of looks at me, and then he goes, You'll see. And so I get up there. This is no joke. I get up there. I hit the ball, and it's like a scud missile just heading dead straight. Ends up going past this guy hitting a house, and and it was one. Of, it was really embarrassing. It wasn't, but just the three of us. But it was still embarrassing at how badly I missed this. And, and I was thinking through just uh, how frustrating that is, and how aggravating it is, and how bad I was missing it and just the whole thing was miserable and then on top of it I paid money to do this and I'm like this is ridiculous and and so I was thinking about how frustrating miserable how just um badly I was missing that and last night as I was reading through John chapter 13 and I came to these command, this commandment that Jesus gave when he says, I give you a new command. He says, love one another as I have loved you. He says, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And I thought about this. I even wrote in my Bible. I said, Lord, we are so dull and blind. How have we complicated this so much, yet it is so clear? God, help us. Because, see, I feel like this for so many years. I feel like the church and even myself have been shanking what God has given us. He gave us such clarity around what this life is supposed to be about. He, he says, just love one another. It's that simple. I mean, it's not very complicated. We know that uh, earlier in the Gospels, Jesus told us that the two greatest command, or the greatest command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? 
And he makes it that simple. He says all the law and the prophets, everything that's been written, all the stuff that the Jewish people, these, this nation of Israel has come up with that you should do, even the Ten Commandments, all of that is summed up in if you'll love the Lord your God with all of your being, love your neighbor as yourself, then everything will be fulfilled. He makes it that simple why have we made it so complicated? Why have we made it into something that it's not? We see that when people come to faith and we preach the gospel and they find out that even though I'm a sinner and I'm strayed from God, I can't get so far away from God that his arm is too short to save, that he can bring me back to himself, that he's here waiting on me. I know the day that I got saved on April 1st of, of 2000 and I'm sitting there and a man is preaching the gospel and I'm listening to the gospel. He was talking about my sin, like my sin. There was about 70 people in the room but I'm like he's talking about me and so I'm getting mad I'm getting angry and then all of a sudden I hear and just kind of in my heart I felt God say why don't you just turn around and I'm telling you folks I had burned a broad trail I had run from God I had 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 cursed God I had um, just maybe been cynical of God I would go to Bible studies just to try to mess them up just to ask the stupid questions. Can God make a rock so big that God can't move it? Just do dumb things to try to mess it up. And in that moment, I realized that even in all the stuff I had done, the drunkenness, all the things I had been a part of, all of the lust and all of the different stuff that had gone on in my life, that I realized in that moment, if I would just turn, that God was there. And that day I gave my life to Christ. I trusted in who he is and what he's done. And my life was different. I told everybody, I was like, look, my life's different. I'm a different person. They were like, I oh, will give you four months. You'll be back doing the same stuff. I was like, these are my friends. Thanks for the encouragement. But what I realize and what I believe happens in the church as we preach the gospel that God's arms not too short to save you can be saved people encounter the love and grace of God in a way that they literally can feel the sin lift off of them that they are no longer the same person but then they come and they get involved in the church and and, and not in the body, not in the believers, but in the organization and the system. And the first thing we do is hand them a Bible that's that thick. And we're like, you got to do this and you got to do that. And you need to get on this committee and you need to get on that committee. And you need to start serving and giving and doing and doing. And pretty soon we've taken what God has given them in his grace and love. And we've taken what he's lifted off, the burden of sin, and we put a new burden on them calls a religious system and we've gotten away from the simpleness of God's love in me God's love for me my love for God that I don't even have unless God gives it to me and his love in me working out of me to the world we've gotten away from it being so simple listen it's not about where we meet it's not about what we do. It's simply about the love of God. If we don't get to a place where we can 
walk in and rely on God's love, we'll never do what God created us to do. We get the doing ahead of the becoming. And, and that's never the way that it works. Have you ever heard somebody say this? That, 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 that somebody tells them, well, you shouldn't have done that, or you don't need to do this, or can you stop doing that? And how many of you have ever heard I've said this. How many of you have ever heard this? That's just the way I am. How many of you said it? Be honest, we're in church, don't lie. God will strike you, and I'm just kidding. But I've said it, that's just who I am. Then who I am needs to change, right? I mean, it's like, but we know this innately. We know that who I am ultimately is going to determine what I do. And here's the thing. If we can't, see and receive God's love and we can't recognize who we've become in Christ, we'll never be able to do what God has made us to do. In other words, if we don't know clearly who God is, who I am in Christ, and why I was created and I exist, then if who I am doesn't change, neither will what I do you might be able to change it some. You might have more discipline than another. But until the love of God is consistently transforming and changing our heart, until the power of the Spirit is consistently working in our lives, we will never consistently produce what Jesus tells us to produce, and that is the fruit of the kingdom, the fruit of the Spirit. We'll never consistently do that because guess what? It's not in us to do it. We can't do it. We can love according to the world's love. We can find joy in some of the things of the world, but we can never have what God wants to give us if we're not consistently receiving it from him. There's no way. It's why in Galatians 5, it says that it's the fruit of the Spirit it doesn't say it's the fruit of Brandon. See, the fruit of the Spirit is really the nature and character of God. How arrogant of me to think that I could produce the character and nature of God apart from God. I can't do it. And so why have we gotten away from the simplicity of the gospel of God's grace, God's truth in our life that shows us God's love? We get away from it. We, we move away from it. And I hear people say, well, sometimes you got to preach grace. Sometimes you got to preach truth. You know, we need both. It's a balance. It's the same thing. It's one word. It's not two the good news, the gospel, that's what gospel, it means good news. It means that this whole book is the greatest news we could ever have. Jesus said, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He didn't say, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll put another burden on you that's so heavy you can't carry it. See, the relationship with Jesus is something that brings life. The religious system of just what I have to do, it doesn't bring life. It brings frustration. It brings 
bitterness. It brings just a disillusionment about who God is. It's why two people can stand at the door on a Sunday greeting people as they come in. One walks away burdened. The other walks away blessed. They're doing the same thing. Why is one burdened? Why is one blessed? Because of the condition of their heart and what they've received. It's not because this person is somehow better than the other. Listen, none of us deserve the love and grace of God. If we got what we deserve, we'd all be in hell now, right? We'd all be separated from him. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. If I were God, this is what I would have done. When, when mankind started screwing it all up, right? They sin, Adam and Eve sin, and everything gets bad. Cain kills Abel, and I'm going to flood. The, I would have just killed them all. I know my heart. I would have killed them all because this would have been my line of thinking. It only took six days to make this thing. In a week, we can start all over. Right? Thank God that God is not like that. That God is patient. That God is loving. That God is kind. But how is it that we miss this? How is it that we get to this place where we come to faith in Jesus. We come to a place of salvation. We come to faith through the Spirit. The power of the Spirit makes me new. And then all of a sudden, I begin to move away from faith and, and trust and the life of the Spirit and God's love and His grace and the power of God. And I begin to maintain something or try to maintain something that I couldn't attain on my own. So I, I begin to try to, to work out my salvation on my own rather than allowing God to work it out of me by his spirit. And we can't make that happen. We can't make it happen. The reason, I believe this with all my heart, the reason that I believe we fall into that trap is because the world system around us is completely based on what we do. Like, how many of you get a paycheck if you don't do anything? Not many. Like, you don't get a paycheck, you get fired. And those who, t I know it doesn't always work this way, but typically those who perform the best get more, right? Those who are the greatest, the, the best basketball player, LeBron James, what, $154 million, good gracious. I'd like one week of that, Right? You, you look at them, they're, they're the most uh, revered, they're the most loved, uh, the, the, the famous people, they're the best, and so they're the most loved. And so the world system tells us that if I perform well, I will be loved. In John 15, 1, Jesus, his first statement is, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Well, what does he mean by that? He's going back to the Old Testament. The Old Testament often referred to the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, the Jewish people. It often referred to them as the vine. Often referred to them as the vine. The interesting thing, though, is when the Old Testament refers to Israel as the vine, it is typically when God is speaking to them about their failure to produce what God has given them to produce. And so Jesus is telling them that I'm the true vine. He's saying, look, 
the nation of Israel, that they never were intended to be the vine. They were never intended to produce this on their own. That even in the Old Testament, and we know going all the way back to Abraham, that he was made righteous by faith. So even in the Old Testament, right relationship with God came by faith. It didn't come by what they did. It came by faith. And so when we look at this, Jesus is saying, I'm the vine. If you're going to produce anything in the kingdom of God, it is going to be because I'm working in you. It's not going to be because you just made a determined effort that I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to make it happen. It might work for a while. It's not going to be consistent over time. And Jesus is really telling them, look, this system of religion that the Jewish people had created The Pharisees and this religious system had come up with 613 laws that they were trying to uphold and to keep. And Jesus is saying, look, you can try to do all those things. You can think that in yourself that you're the vine and you can produce this, but I'm coming today to tell you that Jesus is the true vine. And it's only in being connected with him that we can produce what God wants us to produce. But listen, the world system tells us that it's about performing. And the church has now adopted the world system that we know is driven by Satan himself. And we've adopted this system of what I do determines my acceptance. And so we quickly adopted it. Why? Because it's all we've ever known. And so it makes sense that if I'm going to be right with God, man, I got to clean up. I got to get my act together. I got to focus on what I do. I'm going to produce fruit, right? And we just try harder and we just get more frustrated, more burned out. Listen, the reason we don't live our lives in awe of God is not because God is not awe-inspiring, The reason we oftentimes don't live our lives in awe of God is because I've taken my eyes off of who God is. I've taken my eyes off of who I am apart from Christ. I've taken my eyes off of what God has done through Jesus. And I've taken my eyes off of the righteousness he's given me now by faith. And so I get over here with my eyes off of that and I begin to put them on what it is I'm supposed to do to be a good Christian because I want God to accept me. I want to be acceptable to myself and I I certainly got to look acceptable to everybody in here because, you know, I want to be a good person. And so it's all about trying to find acceptance. It's not about living out of the acceptance we've already been given. And if we can consistently see who God is, what God's done, who we are apart from Christ and who we've now become in Christ, it changes everything. Nothing stays the same. We again come to God, not because of any merit of our own, anything that I have done, but we come to God in faith. We come to God recognizing our need for Jesus. So far, you haven't related to any illustration I've done, so I'm going to try another one. How many of you, oh gosh, I know this is probably going to fall flat, but how many of you have ever been snorkeling? Anybody ever been snorkeling? Yes, praise Jesus, yes. When we were on our honeymoon, we went snorkeling. Um, and, I mean, it was cool. It was all right. 
But I wasn't like, wow. Because after, I mean, five minutes of it would have been enough for me. Because you get down there and you're like swimming across and you can dive down for a minute, but then you got to come back for air and you dive down and you're like, there's a fish. Go back up for air. You come back down. There's a fish. There's a fish. I'm like, well, it's a fish. I mean, you know, I could go to Bass Pro Shop and see that. And so but, but we, we swim around, so it kind of got old after a while. But the thing I realized is I could only go under the water for so long, even though I had the snorkel, I had to come back up for air. And, and if you got too far down there and you got to this point where you're like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. You know how you feel like even in the bottom of a pool sometimes, oh, I got to get there. And, and I realized like my desperation for the air, for the next breath. And the thing that I see in this that I believe Jesus wants us to see is that our desperation for him, it really ought to be like wanting that next breath, but we only consistently realize that if we consistently see the gospel. See, we get in church and we clean ourselves up and we start thinking we kind of got it together because we're playing by the right rules. We're, we're following the system. And we can begin to forget that we still need him. We forget what he's done. And when we forget what he's done, it's not too long until we just begin to operate out of what we do. I believe it's the reason that most people show up on Sunday one out of four times a month. I believe it's the reason that, that people get burned out with church, burned out with serving, burned out with doing. It's because we have begun to focus on what we do, not who he is and who we are in him. We've lost our awe of God. Everybody's like, well, there's no reverence in the church. The reason there's no reverence in the church is because we aren't seeing clearly who he is. We aren't seeing clearly who we are. Sinners separated from God. Enemies of God. Dead, lifeless, spiritually. And we're not seeing again who God is and what he's done through Jesus and the power of his spirit. Because I'm telling you, if we see that, if we come to a place of really seeing it and consistently seeing and receiving, it changes everything. He says that he's the true vine, not a system, not, not going through the motions. Going through the motions just leaves you empty and frustrated, disillusioned and burned out. He says, it's, I'm the vine. And he says that the father, the gardener, cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So it will be even more fruitful. When we read this, and I've heard tons of messages, that, and, and rightfully so, that talk about how God prunes us. He cuts things out of our life, and it's painful, and it hurts. And I'm not saying that that's not true. But I am going to say this, that the way that God prunes us every time is through his word. And you say, well, what about circumstances and things that happen in life? Doesn't he prune us through those? And I would say absolutely he uses those. But primarily it is through his word. And I want you to hear this because this has shaped how we see the church and God and ourselves and others. 
If we interpret our experience outside of God's truth, it is a very dangerous thing. Because our experience will more times than not, not lead us to the truth about who God is, who we are, and how we relate to others. And so when we experience things, we have to come back to God's truth so that even in church, our experience has often shaped how we see God. Our experience in the world has often shaped how we see ourselves. If we've been successful, if we've been accepted, then we may feel like we're good and prideful, but then we've had failures and we've had times when we weren't accepted. And so it begins to cast doubt within us about how good am I? Am I okay? And so most of us, probably all of us, spend a lot of our life trying to see if we are acceptable to God and to others. And then when we do screw it up, typically this is where we go. Well, I don't like me. I can't like me. I certainly can't love me. If I can't like me, there's no way God can love me, and there's certainly no way they can love me. And so we just get in this downward spiral of condemnation. And our experience begins to teach us things that aren't true according to God's word. And the system of what we know and what we've experienced in church even has distorted our view of God. If you look in Genesis 1 and 2, it was very clear for Adam and Eve. It was very clear of who God is. It was very clear of who they were and what they were created to be. It was very clear of how they related to each other. We even see in Genesis 2 that their marriage was perfect. There was no shame. There was no guilt. There was nothing. And for me, that's the hardest one to understand. And if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. Don't even act like it's perfect, right? But for Adam and Eve to have been in that relationship, and it's a perfect relationship. And then their purpose was clear. They were there to fill the earth, to, to, to fill it with the glory of God. All those things were clear. And all those things were clear because they had an unhindered relationship with God. They could see him clearly. But then you see sin come into the picture. After sin, all of that becomes distorted. They, they no longer see God clearly. They go hide from God. They know their sin has separated them from him. He puts them out of the garden. They no longer uh, see themselves clearly. They're separated from their creator, their image bearer. They can't see who they really were created to be. They no longer relate to each other clearly. You get to Genesis 3.12. Adam's now blaming Eve for his trouble instead of her being a source of blessing. That sounds more like marriage, right? And so we see that. We see that their purpose is lost. You go to Genesis 4, Cain kills Abel. Genesis 6 has gotten so bad, God floods the earth. You go to Genesis 11, the people are actually doing the exact opposite of what they were created to do at the Tower of Babel. They're building a kingdom for their name so that they can be great rather than filling the earth with the glory of God. All of that was lost because the relationship with God was lost. But see, here's the incredible thing. Is it just as God created in the beginning through his word and spirit, he, he spoke everything into existence. God also recreates through his word and spirit. 
Jesus even tells them, he says to them this, he says that you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And he's meaning that by faith, you'll be clean. By faith, I'm going to raise you up into the righteousness I'm going to give you by the word I've spoken to you. And so we see that throughout the New Testament that the word of God has great power. The word of God has great authority because it originated not with man. It was with God from the beginning, as John 1 tells us. And so when we see that, we see that today God still recreates He makes us new in the same way that he created the original creation. By his word and spirit, we hear the word. The spirit brings us to life. The Bible says he gives us a new heart. He begins to make us a new person. He gives us new desires and new wants. And we begin to desire God. Where we once were bent towards sin, now we're bent towards God. We have a desire for him. And he makes us new. He gives us a new spirit. What did we do to deserve it? Nothing. It was by faith. But there's another problem that takes place. When we were separated from God, our experience became our our, our teacher. Our experience began to shape the way we think. Everything. It, It distorted our view of God, our view of ourselves, our view of others, and our purpose. We we don't see things the same way that we will see them if we truly look into God's word and we even read God's word many times through the lens of our experience. And so when we look at that, it's why Paul tells us in Romans chapter 2 that our minds have to be renewed, that we have to begin to think differently. We can't keep thinking in the same old patterns that if our lives are going to be transformed, as Paul says in Romans chapter 2, it's going to be because our mind has been renewed. So the two problems that came with sin, one was spiritual death, that God has now given us a new heart and made us a new creation, taking us from death to life at the moment of faith. But then through his word and the power of the spirit, he continues to recreate us as he renews our mind. And this is what I can tell you. As our mind is renewed, it changes the way we make decisions. And then the way we make decisions determines our life. If we are going to grow and transform, if we are going to produce the fruit that God desires for us to produce, it's going to be because we remain in Christ. It's going to be because we realize that the truth truly does have the power to set us free, not just from sin, but from the bondage of our experience that has distorted who God is, who we are, and why we exist, and how we relate to other people. It's going to be because we come to God's truth, not just looking for something else to do, but looking for someone that we know, looking to see who God is, what God has done, who I am apart from Christ, and now who I have become. And when I see that, I begin to see his truth. I begin to see accurately. My mind begins to be transformed. My decisions to begin to make be made different from a different worldview and way of seeing everything. And then my life begins to change. But the system of the world has taught us that it's just about what I do. We forget the relationship. It's why so many people walk into church week after week. They come through the doors and they they sit down. And as soon as they sit down, it's the first time they've been still all week. And they start thinking, did I cut the oven off this morning? 
They start thinking, man, where did I put my car? Did I lock my keys in the car again? They start thinking about, well, I shouldn't have beat the kids on the way to church this morning in the back seat. And all these thoughts go through their mind. And they just come in and they check the box of this religious system and they get up and walk out. And we feel a little bit better about ourselves because I did the acceptable thing. But listen, church, we're missing the point. The point is not box checking. The point is a relationship with God. The point is knowing him. The point is walking and relying on his love and on his spirit. The point is is seeing who he is, what he's done, who I am apart from Christ, and who I have become, and living in a place of awe of God that begins to shape the way I see everything. I'm not going to be in bondage to this world anymore. I'm not going to be in bondage to Satan anymore. Jesus says that he has no hold on me. We are now one in Christ. That means Satan has no hold on my life. If I can begin to see things differently, if I can begin to see in line with God's truth, then my mind is going to be transformed. I'm going to begin to discern and understand the will of God. When I get out of the will of God, as it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, God's going to rebuke me, but he's also going to be teaching me. But when I get out, he's going to rebuke me. Then he's going to correct me, and then he's going to train me to walk in his will, to walk in his way. How does that happen? I begin to see differently. I begin to realize that it's not about performing in a system. It's simply about being his. It's realizing God's got his hand on my life, not first and foremost so I can do something great, but first and foremost so I can just be his. See, see, we've, we've looked at Jesus as something else to do, not someone to know. If you have kids, you've probably done this where you've got the plates that are divided. You know what I'm talking about? The plates. And I don't know about y'all. Who, who, who in here, you don't like your food to touch? Just be honest. It doesn't make you more of a man. If you just put it all together, it's going all to the same place anyway. That's just gross. Like, I like it to be separated. If I got a biscuit, I don't want the butter bean juice sogging up my biscuit. You know what I'm saying? And so we have these plates, and my kids, and maybe sometimes I do too, eat off of those plates that are divided, right? And we put the food in different places. And that's kind of how we come into this religious system that the world has trained us up in. See, the, the, the world system has come into the church and changed the church, right? And the church going into the world and changing the world. And so we, we look at it oftentimes as this divided thing where we've got our our meatloaf and some mashed potatoes and peas. I ate breakfast at like 6.30 this morning, so it sounds really good to me. But meatloaf, mashed potatoes, we got some peas and a little gravy on top of the mashed potatoes. And, and then over here we might have, I don't know, something useless like green beans or something like that, you know. And, and so you got that. And we come to Jesus and we surrender our life and then we get into this system. And what we get taught in the system is that, look, you know, Jesus has this part of your life. It's this divided plate where, you know, you kind of got this of your work life and your family life and you got your rec life and your hobbies and, and you got all these things that go on and then you got your Jesus section. And where we've gotten this wrong is we don't realize that Jesus is not a section on the plate. Jesus is the plate. 
He's the one that holds it all together. He touches it all, right? He's a part of it all. He's the, the one that holds it. Colossians 1 even tells us this, that not only were all things made through him and for him, but that he holds them all together. We have to realize that that's the joy of life. It's not circumstantial. It's not found in what I do. It's found in someone I know. But our eyes get deflected onto what is it I got to do? I got to read my Bible. I got to pray. I got to go to church. I got to go to connect group. I got to give. I got to do. I got to do. I got to do. And pretty soon we've left this place of faith and the power of the spirit and grace and love and all of the things. The commandment of Jesus we can't fulfill. Why? Because his love's not in us and we're just going and doing. And it's why we get frustrated with people when they don't do what we ask them to do. And in the church we get burnt out and we get tired because we're trying to drag people somewhere they don't want to go and we ourselves aren't even walking in what God wants us to walk in in his love and power of his spirit and so we just get kind of frustrated and burned out and, and we just start doing and this is the thing we will never our purpose has never changed since Genesis 1 it is to fill the earth with God's glory it is to fill the earth with his presence not just one square but every inch, we will never fulfill the purpose of God. We will never produce the fruit that God desires us to produce unless we remain in the vine. And we remain in the vine by faith, by trust. We come to God's word to see who he is. Yeah, to see my sin, absolutely. I see my sin. The closer I get to God, the more I realize what Paul meant when he said, I am the chief of sinners. But we don't stop there. We also see in every word that God has written, we see Jesus. Every word in this book points us to the cross and to the resurrection. And we see what God has done and then we see who we've become in him that we've gone from enemies to sons and daughters we've gone from being people separated from him to being his children we've gone from unrighteousness to righteous how is that because of Jesus and we see who he is. We see who we truly are. We see the mess that's in our heart. We see the gap that Jesus has bridged. We see that he's made us right with him, right with God. And I'm telling you people, that's where worship comes from. That is where worship comes from. It comes from seeing God. It comes from realizing the gap Realizing what God has done. My encouragement to you today is this. Don't let a system of religion, don't let this system of performance and I gotta do, I gotta do, I gotta do, rob you as Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. 
of a relationship with God. This is how I know most of us function. Most of us function that on days we feel pretty good about ourselves, we feel like I can come to God. We feel like, well, maybe, maybe I'm acceptable. On days that we stumble and we kind of trip and we fall, we come to this place where we say, man, no way I can do that. No way. No way. And so we think if I pay my dues for a little while and I get my junk together, I can work myself back into his good graces. In fact, for a lot of us, it's those low points in life that keep us from fully embracing a relationship with God because we look back at the low point and it's still defining who we are today. I want to encourage you that in Christ you have become a new creation. I want to encourage you that if you look back at your highs and your lows, the only consistent thing in your life has been the consistency of God's love for you. So that those low moments as we look back, it's not that we want to repeat them. It's not that they were okay. But as we look back and we see the depth of our depravity, our struggle, our sin, what we begin to see is the measure of His his grace that bridged that gap and still brought me to him and what once held me from him now becomes a point of worship because I see the gap that he's bridged and the church is afraid to tell us that we're forgiven because if we're forgiven we're no longer guilty and we won't keep doing what we think we have to do but I'm telling you this, if we have a revelation of the depth of God's grace and his love for us and we walk in that and we're filled consistently with his love and the power of the Spirit, as Ephesians 5.18 says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're consistently walking in that, consistently seeing that. This is what I can tell you that sin will begin to fall to the wayside and your relationship with God will come to the forefront. And if you will simply seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, seek first Jesus, keeping your eyes on him, not getting caught up in what I gotta do, but, but, but just pursuing him, then these things are gonna begin to work out. If you want your marriage to be better, get your eyes on Christ. If you want work to be better, get your eyes on Christ. Listen, I've been through a lot of stuff in the last 18 years as a Christian and the last 42 as a person. The thing I can tell you looking back is my joy and my happiness, my contentment was never determined by my circumstances. It was determined by how close I am to Christ. How much I'm walking in faith. And listen, it's not popular, but I, I don't care. I don't care because I'm tired of seeing a religious system rob God of glory and people of life. And if that offends people, then I'm sorry. But this is what I know. There's a lot of people who walk through the doors of churches every week who just don't. No, they think that this is all there is to it. I show up, I go through the motions. That's it. Oh, I gotta go to church today. There's more. It's life. He's the way, 
to the Father. He's the truth that sets us free and renews our mind so we can see who He is, see what He's done, who we've become. And He's the life. John 14, 6. The way, the truth that sets me free and the life that I live, it's all in the vine. It's all in Him. It can't be produced in me apart from Him. My prayer for this church and, I mean, the whole church and God's church outside of Connection Church is that we could once again capture the awe of God and who He is as He's revealed Himself through His Word. 66 books written by 40 or so authors that all tell one story, point to one moment in time where God's wrath and love met in the person of Christ on the cross as he took our sin from us and he took God's condemnation for us. He died so we could live. And all of that came to one moment in history that has changed history forever. And when we come to faith in him, changes our eternity. And so today, I want to give you that opportunity. I, I know this, and a room with, I don't know, 80, 100 people. There's people here that's just been a religious system. It's just been about, I'm going to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to do, but we've never come to life in Christ. We've never walked in that. There's probably somebody here who's a little offended because, well, you're talking about what I grew up in. Well, the first step is we got to admit that some of the ways we think are not right. Some of the ways I think are not right in accordance with God's truth. And that's okay. God teaches, he rebukes, he corrects and trains all in love all in the power of his grace to bring us back in line with who he is. So I know some people are here and you've been in that system, but you never really have had a relationship with Jesus. There's some of you here, you walked in the doors today and you're like, I'm lost as a ball in high weeds and I sure hope I can find something. Let me tell you, you didn't come in by accident and you didn't come to find something. Someone came here to meet you, to find you, to get you. God wasn't lost, right, so that you had to find him. He wasn't on Walmart aisle 14 going, man, I wish somebody come get me. He knows. He came to us. Apart from him, we never knew him. As a first today, I want to give you that opportunity. Look, you've been in the system, but you've never known him. You've never been in that relationship. You've never come to life in Christ. Maybe you came in today knowing you're lost and knowing I need something. Well, today I'm telling you, it's not something. It's not, it's not a behavior modification. It's a heart transformation that you need. And so today I'm gonna give you this opportunity. Today you would just say this, like, look, I, the Spirit spoke to me. Listen, if I spoke to you, it's useless. If the Spirit spoke to you, it can be eternal. So today you say, I need a relationship with God. I want to put my faith and trust in the work of Christ. I want to live my life in that faith. I want to surrender to him today. Lay it all at his feet. Today I want to give you that opportunity. I want you to, I'm going to ask you just to be bold because this isn't something to be ashamed of. It's something to celebrate. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and say today in front of everybody, not heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to celebrate it with you because it's not the end. It's the beginning of a new life. If you're here today and you would say, 
Today I'm coming to faith in Christ, trusting him with my life, with my eternity. I'm asking you to stand up, stand where you are. Say, today I need him. that is walking in the power of God's spirit and his love, his grace, the power of who he is, a relationship with him, abiding and remaining in him. I'm just going to give you opportunity today. You need to calm down here. Listen, maybe you've gotten off track and it's just been about what you've been doing and I've been going through the motions and I'm trying to get it right, but I can't. Maybe listen, it's coming back to this, this relationship. It's coming back to the power of the spirit. It's coming back, maybe, to your first love. If you've drifted from that, I want to pray. As I pray, you can come. You can spend time with God. You can listen. You can spend time in your chair. I don't care. Spend time with God there. You can go sit in your truck. Spend time with God there. You can stand on your head in the parking lot. Spend time with God there. It, just get with God. Just get with God. But if He prompts you to come here and pray, Come pray. There is something that is powerful about a physical action, a tangible representation of what's in our heart that seems to solidify that somehow. So I'm going to ask you just to respond the way that God prompts you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for life. God, that's found in you. It is found in you and only in you. God, don't let us leave here that we would not be in awe of who you are, not be in awe of what you've done. God, I, I, I pray that we would be challenged. Because God, unless our way of thinking is challenged, it can never be renewed. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Speak to us long after we've left this place. God, I don't want us to be people who lean on the church to program our lives. I want us to be people who walk in the Spirit and trust in Him. God, I love you. I just thank you that you love me, that your hand's on me. It never ceases to amaze me.